Well, it's really such a joy for me to have this privilege to share God's Word with all of you. Now, I need to apologize to all of you at the start of this sermon about this, the word that I'm about to preach. Now, Pastor Eunice and her team has brought us to the mountaintop of faith this morning, right? Such a powerful time of worship. You know, the final song, we will lift God's name on high. But right now, I'm going to bring all of you into the valley. Now, this sermon is birthed from my interactions with some of us, some of our church members. About two to three weeks ago, in a span of a few consecutive days, I heard so many stories of many of you going through a season of not just discouragement, but a season of darkness, miscarriages, deep depression, panic attacks, marriages falling apart, financial problems, the possibility of losing your jobs, just to name a few. And as I sought God and prayed, this sermon was birthed. And in times when I really have no response to, to many of you who have shared your stories with me, I believe we can all turn to the Word of God. And hopefully by the end of this sermon, we can all reach the other side of the valley. Would you join me in prayer? Well, let us commit this time to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here, Lord. Father, we really need, we need you, Holy Spirit. The Lord, even right now, Lord, thank you once again for this privilege to dig deep into your word as a church family, Father. Lord, I commit all my brothers and sisters into your hands. Let our hearts be fertile soil to be ready to receive from your word this morning. Lord, give me the words to properly communicate what you have laid in my heart this morning, Lord. We lift this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say, Amen, Amen. Now, our key text for this morning is taken from Psalm chapter 13. Now, having said that, I'm also going to refer to quite a few other scriptures, so please follow along with me. Well, I think for Psalm chapter 13 in your version, some of your versions, you have this heading called, How Long, Lord? Well, let us read Psalm chapter 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the context of Psalm 13 has not really been clearly defined or spelled out in most Bible commentaries. The nature of David's circumstances, they are not really described for us. So we do not know for sure what had happened that prompted King David to write Psalm 13. 
And David could be dealing with maybe depression. He could be dealing with um, living with the blues or just trying to come to terms with what it means to trust God in tough times. And it is in a way open to all of our inference, which actually makes it in some ways all the more beneficial for us. Because we can then apply this psalm in our lives and the unchanging truth of God's Word, they will serve as important principles for us right? as we learn to trust God in the midst of darkness. And that is the title of my sermon this morning. And I would like to outline and break down our study of Psalm 13 into three sections. Right? Verses 1 and 2, we talk about David's condition, which is his anxiety, his discouragement and pain. And verses 3 and 4, David's cry of prayer. And verses 5 and 6, it is David's consolation. So let us begin with the first section. Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now you will notice what, that David asked a recurring question in verses 1 and 2. Right? For four times he asked, how long? And as I was preparing the sermon, I was wondering who else in the Bible, other than King David, had such a similar predicament. Now, for the purpose of this sermon today, I thought of one character in the Bible who waited for an extremely long time as well to see a breakthrough. Right, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. And if you are familiar with the story, the chapter talked about Elkanah, right? We had two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina had children, but Hannah was barren. And in verses 6 to 7, it says that, and Hannah's rival, right, which is Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. And so it went on year by year, Right? It says that this provocation, this irritation, right, it went on year by year. So in other words, right, the circumstance that Hannah was facing is not really a matter of passing insignificance, but rather it was one that confronted her every single day of her life. And King David in Psalm 13, he was in similar tra straits as Hannah, right? There is an English idiom that says, you know, time flies. Time flies when we are having fun. And this is probably true most of the time. You know, when you are having a good time, like a family vacation, you know, before you know it, wow, two weeks flew by, time to come back to Singapore. Right? But I think the opposite is equally true as well. You know, sometimes when things move into the minor key, when life takes a wrong turn, I think it is also true to say that time slows down when we are not having fun. You know, oftentimes we may find ourselves saying, I really don't know if we ever are going, out, going to come out of this circumstance. So what exactly is David going through? What is he so anxious about? 
Like what I said, we may not know what exactly happened to him, but I think we can hazard a guess from verse 1 of our key text today. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The Hebrew meaning of the word forget, it can be translated, translated as cease to care. How long will you cease to care for me, God? So this is how David feels. He feels that God has forgotten him, right? And if we are honest, I believe that this is a feeling which probably each of us will be able to identify somewhere in our lifetime. It may not be utmost in our thinking right now, and maybe for most of us, we have not had the reason to feel this way. But if I ask you to spend some time to reflect upon your life, or for the younger ones, like me, right, just to live a little longer, most likely we will not be foreign to how David was feeling when he wrote verse 1 of Psalm 13. Let me give you an analogy. Have you ever been in a situation where you are in a huge cell group, right? Where everyone is in their cell group is chatting and laughing away, and then you are standing in the corner of your room, hoping to get the attention of just one person. You see, sometimes to be isolated from human relationships is a very crushing, very discouraging feeling. But in the case of Psalm 13 verse 1, what David is talking about here is actually far more significant than that. He's talking about the sense of being isolated from God himself, that he feels forgotten and forsaken. And I was reflecting on the times I felt like God has forgotten and forsaken me. And what becomes apparent to me is that this feeling and perception of being neglected, being forsaken by God, is not necessarily accurate. Because what I feel to be the case is not actually the case, objectively speaking. Having said that, right, it doesn't alter the fact that I still feel how I feel. But I would like to submit to us this morning for our consideration that what we feel may not always be the truth because very often feelings are subjective. And the Bible shows us a glimpse of this subjectivity of the way we feel. In another portion of the Bible in Isaiah 49 verse 14, Zion held up an objection against all the glorious prediction and promises that the Lord said in the whole preceding 13 verses. And Zion, which most uh, Bible commentators, they understood it as it could be the Jewish church, they found it really difficult to believe the words of God, that He has comforted His people and showed compassion to the afflicted because they are in such a terrible state when they when in Babylon. And because of this, it is said in verse 14 of Isaiah 49, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Now the people of God in their journey of following Him, they have on occasion said that their Lord has forgotten them. And to them, 
if the Lord had not forgotten them, they would not have been in the wilderness and be carried away into exile in Babylon and be in such a terrible state. But in the midst of these, let us take a look at the response of God to His people. Isaiah 49, verses 15 to 16. Can a mother forget her nursing baby and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I, the Lord, will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. What an amazing metaphor, right? You know, when God looks down at his hands, at the palm of his hands, he says, hey, these are my children. There they are. I have not forgotten them. You know, we may feel that sometimes God is not there. But the truth is, his love and his care for us, if I can just use an analogy, is like the sun. Right? The sun is always there. Even on days when there are dark clouds obscuring it, the sun is still there. It does not mean that it is gone. It has disappeared. Now, I'm in no way of dismissing the fact that David was indeed feeling forgotten and forsaken, and I am in no way of belittling how some of you may be feeling. But I just wish to implore all of us this morning that in the midst of feeling sorrowful, in the midst of feeling forsaken, that we will know that it is not the be-all and end-all, that God is still ever-present in our times of need. In verse 2 of Psalm 13, in the NIV version, David says that he has to wrestle with his thoughts day after day and have sorrow in his heart, right? How long, God, must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? So verse 2 kind of highlights this, this juxtaposition between David's mind and his emotions, right? So it seems like David is trying to piece everything together, you know, piece all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together. He's trying to reconcile in his mind. Why does, why do I feel this way? What exactly is going on? How can I make sense of all of this? The verse says that day after day, David wrestles with his thoughts. And day after day, he, he ruminates. You know, he let, let, let all the negative thoughts constantly brew in his mind that he is forgotten and forsaken by the Lord. Can I say to us that the longer we give our minds to wrestle with negative thoughts, the greater the propensity for us to increase in self-pity. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon, some of you probably have read his books, you know, he has this to say, he wrote this book, The Treasury of David, which is an excellent exposition on the book of Psalms. He has this to say about ruminating. He says, ruminating upon trouble is bitter work. Because there are certain things that is better to swallow at once than to keep chewing. So let's say if you guys have a fever and I come to you and say, hey, I have two paracetamol tablets for you. Right? Will you swallow them whole at once? Or for those of you that cannot swallow tablets whole, you'll break it into a few pieces and you'll swallow it, right? Or will you savor the taste of these two tablets in your mouth? 
by sucking and chewing away at the tablets? The answer is quite obvious. I think most of us will just swallow it. And that is the same. If we constantly let our thoughts, let negative thoughts brew and ruminate in our minds, it's probably not very good for us. And in the midst of all these negative thoughts running through David's mind, he asked God this question, how long will my enemy triumph over me? It is as if right, having a deep open wound is not enough. He's going to pour vinegar over it. It's as if that in that instance, all the jeering and mocking of David's enemy completely overtook David's awareness of God's providence and kindness. Do you have moments in your life where you also felt that God is absent and cannot be found? And can you relate to what David just said in verses 1 and 2? I've come to realize that oftentimes there are actually a few common signs that accompany this sense of feeling discouraged, forgotten. Firstly, one may begin to just waste his or her time away. And that is because, no, sorry, that because nothing seems to be going well, right? nothing seems to be going well in their lives, that instead of getting about their daily business and routines, they end up curling, curling up in their beds or just sitting on their floors and just stare into blank space. But on the flip side of it, one may begin to work like a maniac too, to fill up the void in their hearts with a lot of activities and responsibilities. Now, this is not the same as working hard and giving our best efforts in all that we do. No. Because very often, burying ourselves with work to fill up, the, fill up the empty void in our hearts actually has the opposite effect. We are actually allowing frustration and bitterness to pile up inside of us. And over time, fear begins to creep into our hearts. And we dis discover that we are actually afraid to even do the normal things in our lives. And we can't really fully explain what exactly has happened to us now that we are so unstable, so destabilized. You know, through my journey of the times, I too have felt like God was silent and distant, where He has forgotten and forsaken me. The time when I lost my right eye due to a freak accident in school when I was 11 years old, when I wrestled with my own identity, when all my human accolades, they were stripped from me. And then I see my peers succeed and excel in life. I've learned that there are some things that I will do my best to not do anymore when these days ever come my way again, when dark seasons come my way again. Now, I, may or, I may, may or may not be successful, but the truth is this, there will be days of tough times in our earthly lives. Firstly, I resolved not to be brash, not to make any major decisions that will drastically alter the course of my life. I'm not going to type or text messages and send them out to people and vent my emotions. I've done that before. It is not very pleasant. 
I cannot, because I cannot trust myself enough not to allow the sense of frustration and anger to leak onto the pages of my text messages. And thirdly, I'm not going to judge my spiritual life anymore and conclude that I have fallen off the tracks and have backslidden. Ah, God is not there for me. Forget it. I'm not going to trip up with guilt and fall into the schemes of the evil one out to make me feel horrible about myself. And fourthly, I am going to do my best to make sure that I'm not going to judge anyone else and their spiritual life. Because the fact is this, when we find ourselves in that situation, however we want to infer it to be, in Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 to 2, it is very easy to get things wrong and see things very irrationally, especially when others are flourishing and we are down in the pits. Maybe after hearing me say these things this morning, you may find yourself uh, saying, is pastor talking about me? I feel like he's looking, he's, he's asking me to look into the mirror. You know, if that is you, I wish to tell this to you. You're, you're not the only one looking into the mirror. I can join you to look into the mirror. Now, I'm fully aware that every one of us is wired very differently from each other, okay? Some people may fight this more often than others. For these people, it is a constant battle. But for others... For example, like our senior pastor, he's not here today, he's visiting another church. He always says he has no feelings, right? He's very rational, right? Such people, I don't know. Maybe they are hardly troubled, right? But personality does come into play. And I thought of this famous cartoon that all of us know. All of us has watched Winnie the Pooh, right? Somewhere in our lives. And I think it, this cartoon offers one of the best <laughs> best point that I'm going to make. Not every one of us are Winnie the Pooh. I think there are quite a lot of Eeyores among us, right? Some of us who are extroverted, right? But that may bring with it a danger of superficiality. Some of us, like me, I'm introverted by nature. I can be functionally extrovert but I'm introverted by nature, which can be equally dangerous as well because there is this danger of excessive and sometimes even morbid introspection. So you keep on thinking, keep on brewing your negative thoughts. So we have both sides of the coin, right? On one hand, one can totally brush the deep issues of the heart aside and just bury it and carry on with life. But on the other hand, one can constantly ruminate constantly introspect and eventually be fully consumed by these negative feelings. Just last week in the midst of preparing this sermon, right, my older son Jeremiah fell sick and both me and my wife, we are, we, are, we are in this season where we are busy at work so we sleep very late every night, right? 12.30, 1.30am and I'm usually up by 6.30 in the morning because both my, both my sons wake up around that time. And what is the result? The result is I began to wrestle with negative thoughts in my mind. You know, in Luke, 14, Luke 4.13, it says something like, the devil 
waited for the next opportune time to strike again, right? And that's the time. So a flood of negative thoughts came over me, you know. You're really not very capable. You don't seem to hold everything together. See, your son is not well, and now your wife is also falling sick. Ah, you haven't finished preparing your sermon at all. What about your paper in Bible school? You haven't even started on that paper. You know, all these negative thoughts just began to flood my mind. And to tell all of you the truth, there was one day I spent two hours. I spent two hours watching Jamie Oliver cooking show and US Open tennis highlights. Two hours just went by because I was so sien, so down. So I will join. If you think that you are looking into the mirror, let me join you to look into the mirror. Another thing that I have discovered is also how fast and how easy it is for us to forget God's blessings and Him being our help in times of need, when we are going through seasons of darkness. And if there's a place in the Bible that illustrates this point, we can look in the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19. And due to time, I'm not going to go through, read out the whole two chapters, right? You can go back and read. But I'll give us a summary. Elijah, he was going against the prophets of Baal, right? And it was Elijah with 450 of prophets of Baal. They were to call down the name of their respective gods, right? To come and consume the sacrifices laid on the wood. And all of us know the story. Our, our God showed himself strong, right? He came down, he consumed the, the sacrifices that Elijah has laid on the wood. But nothing happened to the sacrifices laid by Baal's prophets. So what an amazing victory. And then Elijah captured all of them and slaughtered them. Killed all of them. Glorious victory. And it's even said in verse 46 that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. But what happened next? Immediately in chapter 19, when fear gripped Elijah, and he started to run for his life, right? And he eventually came underneath a broom tree. And he just prayed to God, God, swala, never mind. Just kill me. I just want to die. I cannot take this anymore. One chapter ago, God just showed his power and might and helped Elijah defeat Baal's prophets. Right? But immediately in the next chapter, what happened? He was seen cowering, right? Under the broom tree and say, God, I cannot take this anymore. Just kill me. It is so easy to forget what God has done for us when we are faced with insurmountable trials in our lives. And it seems like sometimes it is much easier to lose hope than to cling on to hope. It need not be this way. In the desert, we all know that water is scarce. But at times, it does not mean that it is not present. Water in the desert is invisible. It lies hidden in the ground, right, beneath the surface, and it's often too deep for us to reach on our own. But water is still there. And the roots of a broom tree, it proves its existence. And in the same way, hope can be discovered even in the deepest moments of human suffering. Which brings me to our next section in our key text today, Psalm 13 verses 3 to 4. 
And in our remaining time this morning, we will discover what this psalm tells us, what we should do when we feel the absence of God in our lives. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In Hebrew, consider and answer me, this phrase, it connotates this sense of crying out to the Lord. David cries out to God. And I wish to point out here that it is very important, first of all, that David cries. Because many times, we do not, we do not let out our emotions, you know. But sometimes, very often, we do need to let it out of the system. The pain, the anguish, the hurts. It is important to give voice to these things. And David actually knows that. Because he said it elsewhere in Psalm 32 verse 1, he said this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So crying, letting out a scream, a shout, going to the beach and scream your lungs out, these are not wrong at all. Because what is more important is who do you cry to? To whom do you direct your cries to? David cries, but his cry is directed towards God. Consider me. Answer me, O Lord. Consider my plight. My life is at stake. I need your help. Hannah too, right? It says in 1 Samuel 1 verse 10, Hannah wept bitterly. It was the storms it was a storm in Hannah's life. The fact that she couldn't, he was not able to have a child, right? It was a storm David was facing in his life. And that caused them to cry out to the Lord. That caused them to weep bitterly before the Lord. Let me say this to all of us. Bitterness and desperation, it should drive us to God, not away from God. Bitterness and desperation should drive us to God. You see, it's, not, it's really not a good thing for us to live in this realm of denial when storms break out in our lives. If we simply just suck it all up, right, and pretend everything is fine and dandy, we actually end up hurting ourselves and those around us. And that is why we can learn from David and from Hannah and many more stories in the Bible, actually, that we cry out to God to consider us. And not just consideration, but David went on to say, right, in verses 3 to 4, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. What does this mean? David asked God for illumination. He asked God to help him see, to change his perspective to lift him above the heaven, the heaviness <laughs> and miry clay, right? It is a short step, right, between heaviness, discouragement and death. And let me say it to us firmly, it is actually possible to die of a broken heart. In fact, many people, many people do so and we could possibly understand the overwhelming hurts, pressures, and burdens. 
be it real or perceived, it literally can bring a person to the grave. If it's not physically, then this person is either dead or numb inside the heart. That is why David cries out to God to lighten up his eyes, to help him see from God's perspective. And a similar thing happened to Hannah as well. Right? In 1 Samuel 1.18, Right, Hannah was crying out to God out of anguish. Give me a child, Lord. And after that, the Bible says, her face was no longer downcast. It means that her countenance changed. Something happened in Hannah's eyes that was different from before. Right? Something has happened to her. And if you read the verses carefully, there was no indication that God answered Hannah's prayer. Because it only says, Hannah cried out to the Lord and Eli told her to go in peace and may God grant you what you ask for. That's not an answer from God, right? But the act of crying out to the Lord, the act of running to Him, that changed Hannah's countenance that she is no longer downcast. So what have we learned so far from God's Word? that our response to seasons of darkness is to ask God to turn the lights back on in our eyes. It's for us to cry out to Him, to run to Him. But having said that, I think all of us know, God does not often turn the lights back on immediately, isn't it? David also knows this. He cried out to God, how long more must I wait, God? And Hannah, year after year, being irritated and provoked. You see, the real test is this for all of us here this morning. Many of us, we trust Jesus when things are going well, when our lives are flourishing. But I wish to submit to all of us, including myself, that when we experience this deep-seated discouragement, this deep-seated despondency, right, in our lives, however long it may be, we will still be able to look at our situation and discover that God is teaching us to trust Him, even if the lights are off. There's the lyrics of this song. I think most of us will know this. When darkness seems to hide His face, I will rest on His unchanging grace. I think we have sung this song countless of times. But I pray that this morning, these lyrics, these words will take on a whole new meaning after today. And in our final section of Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. Now between Psalm 13, 3 and 4, where David cried out to God in prayer, and the final section in 5 and 6 of his consolation, what is the linkage? The linkage is very simple. The linkage is prayer. David prayed to God. Oh Lord, consider me and answer me. Please answer my cry. And the best part of our last part of Psalm 13, right? If we read verses 5 and 6, is that there is absolutely no indication that David's situation has changed for the better. It only gave us David's response. Do you realize that? That he will trust in God's unfailing love and he will sing praises to the Lord 
for he has been good to him. There is no indication that David is out of the woods. Verses 5 and 6 said nothing. Right? There's no indication that anything has changed with regards to David's circumstances. The only thing that has changed is his perspective. So what can we learn from verses 5 and 6? Our circumstances may not change, but the way we view them can change. And how did David's perspective change? Like I said, he went to God in fervent prayer. In desperation, he turned to God. And he realized one thing. God is still God whether or not his circumstances change. God is still sovereign above it all. He's sovereign when he answers our prayers. He is still sovereign when he does not answer our prayer. And David's perspective changed when he had this revelation. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This brings to mind another song that we always sing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end, right? They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. What does this mean? Especially to those who feel forgotten, those who are, who are numb to their call because of repeated hurts and pains in their lives. Those who, like David, have said, my enemy, has, they are exalted over me. I would suggest to ask what does verse 5 mean? It means that despite all this, you have trusted in God's steadfast love. Do you realize that in such a context, this trust that we have to God is no longer an emotional one? It is the act of the will. It becomes volitional. Right? In such moments, one brings his or her emotions and lay them down at the foot of the cross. Those painful emotions, they come under the reign of God's character and His eternal purposes. And in such moments, the heart, the heart is no longer the agent at work. What is at work is your mind. Because the living truth of God's Word, it renews our minds, isn't it? It transforms our minds. And the outcome is, God, we can trust in You. And from trusting, David can then rejoice in God's salvation. In verse 5, in the midst of all the hurts and pains, we can remind ourselves of God's sovereignty that He brings beauty for ashes. He brings the oil of joy instead of mourning, right? And the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And out of this, in the last verse, what did David say? He said, I will sing to the Lord. It is pretty difficult to sing to the Lord when you are in dire straits, right? Can I be honest? Every single week, when all of us gather together, we sing praises to the Lord. We spur each other in faith. But the truth is, some of the songs, some of the songs, they are not easy to sing, man, if we really sing from the depths of our hearts, especially when you are going through extremely tough times. Pastor Eunice led us in that song just now, right? 
I, I, I couldn't sing. I, I just closed. I worship, but I'm like, God, give me faith to sing this song. You are faithful. I believe your word is true. You have never left your children begging. Oh, I love you no matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what may seem to be. Really? The honest truth is in such moments, our singing to the Lord can sometimes become a chore. It can become routine. It can become really hard. The thing is, in such moments when we are, we are erecting monuments, you know, to all of our discouragement and disappointments, I want all of us to realize that the one who is winning, it is not God. When we are doing that, you know, the one that is winning is the evil one. He wants us to stay in that miry clay to wallow in our hurts and pains. But this morning, I wish to say it to all of us, myself included, that this will not be our response. That instead, our response will be, God, I am going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in your steadfast love. I am going to rejoice in you, the God of my salvation. And you, you will deliver me from my plight. And because of this trust, God, I will and I can sing and praise you. Because church, only in heaven, only in heaven will the storms of our lives finally be stilled. And when God seems like He does not answer our prayers, it is only because He is wise, because He knows that it is better for us not to have what we desire at that point of time. And when God allows pains and hurts in our lives, it is only because He can entrust you and I with the privilege of giving glory to Him, of bearing testimony in that circumstance because of His grace over us. Worship team, you can come back to stage. And I just want to end with this. I want to end with this this morning. I, come I came across this poem written by a Baptist pastor. And as I read these words of the poem, I just ask all of you to read along on the screen with me. You don't have to read out loud, but you can see if you can relate and resonate with the words of this poem. It's entitled, Why? I have heard the white tip tapping cane, which leads a blinded eye. And then a darkened, lonely voice cries, Preacher, show me why. I have caught a fiancé's burning tears and heard her lonely cry. She held an unused wedding gown, excuse me, and shouted, Pastor, why? I have heard the cancer patient say, this gain for me to die. Then look into his daughter's face and mutely whisper, Why? I've heard an orphan faintly say who gazed into the sky, Though mom and dad have gone away, my preacher will know why. I have sat beside a tiny crib and watched a baby die. 
as parents slowly turned toward me to ask, Oh, Pastor, why? I tiptoed to my father's throne, so timid and so shy, to say, Dear God, some of your own are wanting to know why. I heard him so tenderly, their eyes are gladly dry, though they must look through faith today. Tomorrow, they will know why. And so I found it pleases Him when I can testify. I'll trust my God to do what's best and wait to find out why. You know, church, this pastor wrote about in this poem, right? Many people go and ask him questions. Why, uh, pastor? Why? I don't know why. I don't know how many of you are in seasons of darkness. I said at the beginning of my sermon, right? I preached this sermon out of obedience because I really felt in my heart this is what God wants to speak to all of us, especially to those of you who are going through pain, unimaginable seasons. Season, things that when you come to all of us, Pastor, not pastor, we have no words. We can just cry with you and hug with you, hug you and pray with you. And that is what I wish to do. That's all this morning. As we close our eyes and bow our heads, in a moment's time, Pastor Eunice and the team, they will lead us in this song, Cornerstone. When darkness seems to hide God's face, we will rest on His unchanging grace. I just pray that we will sing it with this renewed sense of faith in the Lord. But if you cannot sing it, if you find it really hard, I wish to pray with you. If you are going through painful times, don't need to share anything. But if you just wish to come to the front and just let us stand with you, the pastors are here. We are here to support you. Just come even as we respond to this song. Right? Shall we all stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. My hope is Yes, Lord. Only trust in Jesus' name. My hope is still alone. I'll call the strong. We make prayer, come up to the front. Let us stand with you. Hallelujah. darkness seems to hide his face when darkness seems to hide his face let us rest in your grace Lord I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale 
my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, hallelujah. Christ alone, our cornerstone, and the weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storms, He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, Christ alone, our cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. One last time, Christ alone. Christ alone. Father, we want to say to you, you are sovereign. There are so many things we don't understand. But it is okay because you are sovereign and because we can trust in you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. All of us, God, in our seasons of wonderful times, in our seasons of challenges, let us remain the same, that our faith in you will remain strong, that we will be a company of people that say that, Lord, we will trust in you. We will cry out to you. We will run to you and not run away from you. Lord, I entrust all my brothers and sisters into your hands. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you watch over them. They made the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with them and their loved ones now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. Service is over. Right, if you guys want to still come to the front for prayer, please do so. I will right, we'll see you next week.